0: Christ has commissioned us for a purpose in our local context. It's not just experience salvation, work on your own perfection, and then just hang on till heaven. God actually has things for us to do. Churches look all kinds of ways these days,
1: and that's okay. But churches exist to fit into the mission of the kingdom of God. So how do you know if your church has embraced God's kingdom mission to the world? Welcome to your Pastor Reads Books. I'm your host, Heather Weber, and today my guest is Pastor Laura Taro, who talks with me about Scott McKnight's book, Kingdom Conspiracy, returning to the radical mission of the local church. Together we talk about the hallmarks of a church that embodies and lives out the kingdom mission of God in its local church setting and celebrates the unique differences and gifts of each person in the church. Laura is a recent graduate of Northern Seminary with a Master's of Arts in Divinity. She's also a licensed pastor with the Evangelical Covenant Church, and she's the church planter and lead pastor of Bethany Covenant Church in St. Charles, Illinois. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you, Heather. I'm so glad to be here. I'm thrilled you're here. Um, I've been wanting to hear more about your story for a while because you are a Northern Seminary graduate, and I just started at Northern Seminary in this past well, January of twenty three. I started mm-hmm. at Northern, and you know have been friends with you on social media and heard a little bit about your story of ministry. And I believe it was just this year you started a church, which I know you know starting a church. Oh, she just started a church this year. That sounds like, oh, it just happened overnight, but <laughs> we know, you and I both know, those are stories that have very long lead-ups, but you started a church in a donut shop
0: not that long yes. ago.
1: Would you yeah. tell
0: tell me about that? Sure. So the call to plant a church came, goodness, like I think 2014 was when I first began to feel God calling me to this ministry. Um but it takes a long time. It takes a long time to get prepared, to get ready. Um, and for me, it also included finding a denomination that would mm. ordain women, that would mm. sponsor a woman as a church planter. So all of that took a considerable amount of time. Um, so we started Our first weekly Sunday was September 25th of 2022. So we're actually coming up um, on our one year anniversary, which is really, really fun. And um, we started a church in a donut shop, which was not like part of our grants plan. It just sort of (laughs) happened that way. Um, My husband is a firefighter in the town where we live. And so he's familiar with all the businesses in town, all the buildings in town, um and so when we started looking for a location he started scouting spaces and mm. found this building and at the time it was closed um the owner has a donut shop in Batavia Illinois mm. um and she for a while had run one in St Charles where we live um but she had closed it down during covid and mm. so we were kind of looking at it um And it's a long story, but basically um, we reached out to the owner and she said she was thinking about reopening the shop in St. Charles. And she asked us if we would want to partner with her. Hmm. And so it's got a large dining room. That's the space where we meet. And then in the basement, we have like a kid's space area. And then she has a whole separate section where she sells donuts and sandwiches and that kind of thing. So you're in the
1: same building and the donut shop is operating on Sunday morning. But you're yes. also like connected. Like, <laughs> yes. okay, that's so cool. And, yeah. and so and yet you rent like the basement and you can make that your own for the children's right. ministry space. Um, it just is so charming to say, Hey, do you want to come to church at the donut
0: shop? How yeah. how what kind of responses have you gotten <laughs> from people when you've said that? Uh, people think it's really fun. And I have to say, what we like the priorities that we had in mind was to find a place that would feel um, comfortable for people to walk into as a church plant. Uh, We really wanted to reach people specifically that didn't have a church background. Mm -hmm. So finding a space that sort of has another purpose and a day-to-day purpose for people to come in and out of was um, something we kind of had in mind. Um, but God really brought us this opportunity. And when we thought about it, we're like, oh, this makes so much sense. So we've had people, this is a great little story, like there is a couple that is now coming weekly. They're very involved, but they started coming because they were looking for apple fritters, on a saturday morning. <laughs> and they discovered this donut shop and then saw that there was a church connected to it and wow. decided to give us a chance on sunday morning. So, I mean, it's just that's exactly wow. what we're trying to do is to get people um just to be as comfortable as possible. We give out yeah. donuts on sunday mornings cuz nice. Yeah, just to make it fun and approachable um, yeah. and and to feel like a lot of people aren't going to step foot into a dedicated church building mm-hmm. because if they don't have a church background that feels very scary, mm-hmm. um, this is a place you can come check out in the middle of the week and just see what it looks like, what the nice. physical space looks like. Mm. Um, and so then coming on a Sunday morning, you some people just sort of pretend they're there for donuts and then sort of wander over mm. and check us out. Man. So that's... That's kind of our goal is just to um, create just an easy entry point for people who want to yeah. learn about the church. Yeah. That's perfect. I love that. It's it,
1: the donuts are so disarming, right?
0: Right. <laughs> That's fantastic. And most churches, most churches have donuts anyway. We just go straight to the source. So it yes. makes it really easy. Right,
1: right. So what are you celebrating a year in and what has been a challenge this year that maybe surprised
0: you? Oh, there's so many things that we're celebrating. Um, I think it's easy when you're immersed in church life just to be focused on the next thing and to be zeroed in on what do we need to figure out next. Mm -hmm. So part of the fun of celebrating an anniversary is looking back at all the pictures, at all the stories, Mm. and just seeing how God has met us over the course of this year. Mm. In so many ways, we couldn't have predicted. Mm. Um, The people that God has brought to us, the resources God's provided for us, I mean, it's just really fun to celebrate that together. Mm. Um, When we started, you know, it's typical church planning story. We had three families that were really dedicated to this process. And we used to circle up in somebody's dining room and just kind of talk about like, could this happen? Is this even, you know, possible? Um, and to look at where we are now, where we're having about 40 people a week come to Sunday services. Wow. Um, it's just fun to celebrate that. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm super excited about that. The challenges are, um, I'm a first time pastor and planting a church. Mm -hmm. Um, so I have served, it's, it's a little misleading to say I'm a first time pastor because I've served in ministry for a very Mm. long time, but this is the first time that I've had the title that I've had, Uh, you know, the full range of responsibilities, um, so that that has been the challenge is you're kind of yeah. building the airplane as you fly it. So, yeah. you know, we're figuring it out, but it's every new stage. There are things that are just complicated that you have to yeah. unravel.
1: Yeah, yeah. And it's your first time for everything, essentially. Yes, exactly. Yep. Wow. And yet, I really admire this long process. Uh, a time in which you just invested in preparing yourself since 2014. That's a long time. (laughs) And I, you know, not everybody's story is the same, but there are sometimes circumstances where you think maybe a little more preparation would have been better, you know, (laughs) you know, before like jumping in. So, um, I just kudos to you on mm-hmm. on that and your faithfulness in that whole journey. Um, so you, I mentioned you are a Northern Seminary grad and I, I think- one of the reasons I first heard about you is because you wrote an essay about being a female church planter on Mm -hmm. Scott McKnight's Substack. And Scott McKnight is a professor at Northern and also the author of the book you're talking about today. Um, But looking back, because you did a master's of divinity at Northern, Mm -hmm. which is sort of a comprehensive program, like to equip you for pastoring all of church life. So how, like, what would you say about, or how would you reflect upon your time at Northern and how it shaped you or like its value to you in your life?
0: Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Um, part of the preparation process, as I was looking at, um, planting a church was to go get my MDiv. So I have another seminary degree that I did in my early twenties, from Trinity divinity school. Um, but when it came to this role, I really felt like what I need is a master of divinity. And in Mm. part, because the denomination that we're a part of requires that for their pastors. Mm. Um, so I knew that was part of what I needed to do. Um, Northern has been such a gift to me. Honestly, Mm -hmm. I started in 2019 and we were in the process of leaving a church that I had worked at previously. Um, and so the community at Northern really sort of became my, you know, small group (laughs) community during that season of transition. Um, and I have just met such great people and the professors have been very accessible, Um, And just formed some great relationships there. Um, I was a TA for Scott McKnight. So Mm. I got to grade papers and help him um, in his role as a professor. Yeah. So that was really fun. It's awesome. Um, Yeah. And I just enjoyed part of the TA role is you get to answer a lot of questions from students. Mm. And it's sort of almost like a pastoral role for students, or at mm. least that was the way that it worked out for me. It's a lot mm. of um, encouraging students in the program, um, helping them to think about what God has for them in their ministry settings. And it's surprising to me how many seminary students um, change jobs, change mm. churches, go through other transitions during their seminary training. Mm. Um and at Northern, particularly among the female students, but it happens with the guys too, as they encounter, they're learning things in seminary and reflecting on their church setting. Yes. And sometimes they're learning there are some inconsistencies there. Mm-hmm. And so it causes them to set out on a new journey. And so sometimes you're just stepping into those moments saying, hey, it's going to be okay. Like God's going to provide for you Wow. Um, and just kind of coaching them through the same transition I experienced. Wow.
1: So, so being a TA like led you into that opportunity yeah. to encourage people. And I think you're right. Just watching from afar, some of the women's stories in particular that I've seen, um, maybe came from churches where they would never be endorsed as right. a pastor or a leader. And, um, and then seeing them sort of come into their own and own the voice that God has given them yeah. and the gifts that God has given them is so powerful. So how cool yeah. that you got to be a part of that. Uh, yeah. Let's yeah. shift to talking about books, which you had to read sure. a lot of in seminary, but <laughs> yes, but also, like, how did you become a reader, and how did mm. your love for reading develop?
0: Yeah, I mean, I've always been a reader since I was pretty young. I love books. Um, my family jokes that for birthdays and Christmas, all I really want are books. I always have a list. <laughs> It's not hard, and I'm like, you can give me other things, but at the end of the day, what I want are more books. Um, <laughs> so I, I read Relatable. a lot, of, right? I read a lot of fiction um, as a kid. In college, I was a philosophy major, so I read a lot of um, heavy hitting philosophy books. Um, and, and also I've always loved theology. So it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of, you know, just been part of my background, part of my reading life forever. Um, but after I, I, um, my background is in ministry, but I've also, there was a period where I kind of stepped out of full-time ministry for a season. Um, and I started freelancing as a proofreader and a copy editor for Christian publishers. And I really focused, I kind of had a specialty in academic Christian writing. So books Mm. that were written specifically for pastors and seminary students. Wow. Yeah. So for 13 years, I sat at home and edited books. Um, So that was a gift to me when my kids were small, um, allowed me to be home. And then I would sit in my office and read these, you know, just very dense theological books. Um, And I I loved every second of it. It was good stuff. Wow. Man, you could probably have
1: gotten some kind of master's degree just out of that. (laughs) Yeah, that's I know amazing. that's
0: my my husband always says, like, I'm a semi-professional student, you know, like yeah. in any capacity I can find. I just love learning and I love reading.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. I love that. So what is the book you want to talk about today? Tell us about it.
0: Yeah, it's The Kingdom Conspiracy. And the subtitle is Returning to the Radical Mission of the Local Church by Scott McKnight. Um, and I just really enjoyed this book because it's a good reminder of the critical importance of the local church. Hmm. And I think if um, we're going through this sort of reckoning right now in the American church of people Hmm. trying to understand, like, why should we even go? What is the purpose of the church? What is it accomplishing? And I think Scott is, or Scott wrote this book to say that your local church is uniquely gifted, situated and qualified to perform kingdom mission in your particular community. Um, and as a pastor, I want to think about what that means for my church. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of opportunities to do good around the world. But at the end of the day, Christ has created the local church to be the outpost of the kingdom wherever you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know the needs of our community. We've lived here. We're invested here. The people who attend our church live in the community. Um, so we believe that God has equipped the church Um, And it's most local iteration to be the kingdom where we are. So thinking through what that looks like, what does that mean? And to reflect upon what we do when we gather as a church, how we are preparing ourselves and how we are viewing ourselves in our local context. How are Mm -hmm. we promoting the purposes of the kingdom here where we are?
1: And I assume when you say uh that the local the, the local church needs to know its purpose, Scott is not saying local church pastors alone need to know the purpose of the church. Like, is this a this is a whole church experience that he's
0: talking Absolutely. about, right? Absolutely. And I would say I I when I think about pastoring, it's it's teaching and equipping and coaching and cheerleading and nurturing and challenging um, a community of people. So our goal is really to equip the saints to be the church. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of the folks in the room are all the ones who are members of the kingdom, and they all have a part to play in this. And part of the beauty of being a pastor in a very small church context mm-hmm. is we really do need everybody in like yeah. there's you know you can't really sit on the sidelines um if we're going to make this this thing go it's because we're all invested mm-hmm. um and so i think yeah that's how we talk about it and then i i just think it's it's really helpful um to frame it as believers have a job to do like Christ has commissioned us for a purpose in our local context. It's not just experience salvation, work on your own perfection and then just hang on till heaven. Um God actually has things for us to do in our local context that are critically important um and and it's our work to do. There's no one else here. You know, the spirit Amen. empowers us. God calls us to do it. And Jesus has led the way. So we all need to be all in on it. Um, and the, and Scott has a series of 10 points of how to know you're in a kingdom mission church. Oh, okay. Of, yeah, it's sort of a template on um, what you should be doing. Like, what does this mean for your local church? So do you want me to go through yes, these? Yes, I would yeah. like to
1: hear what these are. Yeah.
0: Okay, a kingdom mission church is shaped by the cruciform character of King Jesus in every major dimension. So your church ought to look like Jesus who humbled himself in order to empower others. Mm. And So the idea behind that, again, is just, we need everybody's gifts. Um, And it shouldn't be a top-down hierarchy. Um, That's not how Jesus led. Mm. Jesus really empowered other people and called them into the process. So the church ought to look like that as well. And then number two, perceives itself as a people redeemed and rescued from the world and evil by King Jesus. Mm. So by this, he kind of means there's this distinct boundary line between the church and the world. Um, and and we ought to know that we have been rescued out of it for the purpose of going back and redeeming portions of it for mm. our king. Um, so the church needs to be careful not to adopt the policies and the procedures of the empire that surrounds us. We are to be mm. distinctive um, and to be an influence for God's kingdom. So mm. I think mm-hmm. it's super helpful and to think about yeah. what does that mean? In my own church, in my own town. Yeah. 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 And then the third one is knows it is governed by the Lord Jesus. Um, And this is really for leaders. Mm. We follow King Jesus. Jesus is the leader of our church. We are all followers. And that includes the pastor as well. Like Mm. we follow Jesus. Um, and we are as much of a follower as anyone else in our congregation. Mm. We may we may have special tasks. We may ha- have special roles. But at the end of the day, we need to be following Jesus um, and calling others to follow Jesus.
1: That's good. Can I interject a question sure. here? Um, because I don't know that most pastors operate like that in a practical way. And I wonder, like, was that a mentality shift for you when you read this book and you were thinking about becoming a pastor?
0: How did that shift things? I think for me, I have served in churches that are very much the top-down model. And I think that in some ways it's more efficient. Um, It it cuts down on a lot Mm -hmm. of the collaborative process um but I think it can be a real danger to pastors um, to have a strong separation from the community that they lead in the sense of feeling that they are in authority over mm. this community the reality is Jesus is our authority and um my job is to model the kind of empowering cruciform leadership of Jesus mm. so that means there are to recognize there are people in my congregation that, Christ has uh, gifted with powerful gifts of the spirit Mm. to lead in ways that I can't. And so I am denying the body what it needs if I assume that I'm the only one who can lead. It's just not true.
1: That's really powerful, though. I, I just don't think that's a revelation that all church leaders have. And it's so powerful to hear you say it like that. Yeah. Wow. And then like, what a wonderful... Um, environment to be in as a community church member to know, oh, my pastor is seeing the things God's given me. And she wants me to grow in them. She wants me to grow in these gifts. That's so cool. Why don't you throw out some more of these distinct
0: gifts? Yeah, sure. So the fourth one is challenges the lordless lords of our culture and country. So Scott is stealing this from Bart. Um, But the question is, what are the false lords lurking in your community? What are the things in your local context that people in your church are tempted to trust instead Mm. of christ Mm. and so i think for us to be calling that out and identifying those things there and this i'm just because we're in this season as a congregation when you're setting your budget as Mm. a church Mm. where are you tempted to build in you know safety nets where are you tempted to kind of step back from risk Mm. um as opposed to trusting in God to mm. provide. And as a church plant, again, everything is kind of hanging on by threads. Yeah. Um, so I think this is super relevant. And part of our conversation as a church is do we trust God to show up and provide mm-hmm. for us? Um, because this is Christ's church. So we want to wow. be available yeah. to that, which yeah. is super hard to do in like very practical ways. Yes. Yeah. The fifth one is seeks to be a kingdom kind of community. And this just goes back to that idea that the church is a kingdom outpost that exists to witness to the character of Jesus in your local community. That people in your community, um, when they think about your church, should be thinking about characteristics of Jesus, Mm. Um, not like that building over there. Or I know a couple members who go there. Mm -hmm. They should be thinking about the character of Jesus that's represented by that community. Wow. Um, Yeah. Yeah, That's
1: not what we think about usually. No, No. it's like, oh, that's the church that does the big outreach
0: at this time of year. Or like... That's the truth that's that, the flow in the 4th of July right, parade. Yeah. Right. And if they think about the outreach and say, "Hey, that reminds me of this aspect of Jesus," yes. then you're nailing it. Yes. But if they just think about your logo and your pretty building and those kinds of things, yeah. then there's more to be considered. There's more right. work to do. Right. Yeah. And this the next couple ones sort of go along with that. 6 is is known above all for loving one another and loving your neighbors. Um, And Scott defines love as a rugged commitment to those in your community, to be with them, to be for them, and to see them grow more like Christ. So I think for our members of our church, um, how are they interacting with their neighbors or in their work environments? Do they portray this kind of rugged commitment to the people that are in their community, Mm. um, that are in their networks Um, Are they showing up in love to serve the people around them, Mm. wherever they are? Um, And then number seven is establishes justice and peace within the local fellowship, and then extends justice and peace into the community. Mm. So this is, I think, a shift that Scott makes in this book that's really powerful is this idea um, that this starts in the church. Mm. So I think in a lot of times when people think about kingdom, they think about it outside. Yeah. Um, like kingdom works. And Scott's really saying this begins internally mm-hmm. and then spills out into the way that we interact with our community. How does so, it start internally? Yeah. Yeah. You can I think that. Um, the one that comes quickest to mind is just how are we treating one another um in contentious moments mm. in other words like in a in a church board setting how are we showing love how are we um promoting justice and peace mm. to the ways that um that we treat one another um i've i've been noticing and these are just small things but how are we respecting the gifts that god has brought to our community mm. um in our little church, we have some folks that are, um, in their 80s, and their musical tastes were really formed when they were um, adults in the church. And Mm. so when they bring their gifts, they're singing songs from Sandy Patty. They're singing songs from the (laughs) Gators. Do you know what I mean? And it would would be real easy to be like, oh, that's going to be off-putting to the teenagers that we have in our community. And I think um, for us, this looks like, can we lean towards one another? Mm. Can we appreciate Um, these, these are meaningful gifts that they're giving to Mm. our community, just as the teenagers are giving meaningful gifts to our community. Can we celebrate those things? Mm. Um, and I think that's a form of justice and peace as opposed to saying, well, here we're going to only look like this. And if you don't fit our model, um, if it doesn't feel contemporary, if it doesn't, you know, whatever, um, it's, it's almost like a marketing thing. Like if you're so market driven that you can't appreciate the actual people God has brought to you, then I think that's a question of justice and peace. Wow.
1: How what what impact has that had on your congregation for the teenagers to see the 80-year-old singing Sandy Patty and the 80-year-old <laughs> seeing the teenagers you know express their own musical styles or whatever it is like what do you think that has done for your
0: community Yeah I think what we're trying to build in is a sense of appreciation But also not just a tolerance, but really a sense of celebration Mm -hmm. as these are the gifts that God has given us. Um, How can we promote the gifts that people are offering in a meaningful way? Um, Because I think it's. A lot of times churches will say, well, we can do that with our youth because we want them to stick around mm. and then they, they kind of make everybody else adjust to that. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm saying, can we do that for everyone in mm-hmm. small ways that make them feel like this belongs to them too?
1: Yes. Wow. It's so powerful because
0: I'm sure you've had the experience
1: of feeling a little bit like an outsider at a church right. or like, you're sitting there like, I don't know if I fit. I don't know if anyone will see me. And to just even if you're a new person and you walk into a space like that and you see it, I think you would be much less likely to feel or expect to be unseen, right? right. Or unappreciated or unrespected in who you are. And so that's super cool. I love that.
0: Yeah. And I think we have a number of single young adults um, in our community. And I think too, to say this is this place is your home as well. Mm. Um and and how can we celebrate where you're at right now one of our lovers yeah. just bought her first town home like mm-hmm. that's a huge thing and yeah and how can we celebrate that in meaningful ways yeah um that make that again underscore this is your family this is your church mm-hmm. family you're a part of it you belong here um so yeah just thinking through those things yeah. and and helping give one another um, a framework for saying, this is who we are. This is part mm. of our character that we care for one another and celebrate these differences That's in meaningful good. ways. That's good. Yeah. So number eight is a kingdom mission church cannot avoid being people of good works in the public sector. Your church becomes known for showing up when there is a need. And I think, you know, we tend to, churches tend to do this fairly well in varying Mm -hmm. degrees. um, But thinking about this as a spillover of the work that's already being done internally. Mm. So the way that we're treating one another um spills over into the way that we interact with those outside of our church walls. Mm. So again, this sense of meaningful celebration of where people are, it's not a tolerance, it's not a begrudging giving, but this is you have meaningful contributions, um we want to learn what those are mm-hmm. and we want to come alongside and care with and mm. for. Um so I think there it's just sort of a little bit of a shift of perspective. Yeah. And how we're approaching those things. right? I like that. And then number nine is become sacred space or kingdom space in your community. And your church becomes known as a place of peace and goodness. Mm. And um, the way that I've seen this in our congregation, uh, we have a number of teenagers that come without their families who come to our Mm. church. And it's because of their connection uh, with a local outreach ministry called Young Life. Mm. And so we've got all these teenagers who come um, and their parents will sometimes show up from time to time to support the teenagers in the ways that they're active in our congregation. And I said to my husband after we had a youth Sunday where the kids ran the whole service. And so all, all of these parents came out for it. Wow. And afterwards, I said to my husband, the beautiful thing is for some of these families, we sort of might become their de facto church if they're not if they're not connected to a church the fact that their children are here might mean that we are building sort of tethers to these families yeah yeah yeah
1: yeah even if they don't see themselves as oh this is my church you might be the only church right, right that they have a connection of peace to Wow, beautiful. And then what's your last, what's the last?
0: Yeah, point? the last one is fosters these themes through their spiritual disciplines. Mm. So as we are doing things like discipleship and Christian education, how are we turning these priorities into the focus of our congregation mm. um, so that we're being formed in these ways? It's not just things that we do, but it becomes um the thing that drives us that becomes Mm -hmm. sort of a natural approach to how we are as Mm -hmm. a church Mm -hmm. and does that come out a lot like in the
1: sermons that you preach on Sunday morning is it like Small groups, is it everything? It just comes out everywhere, right?
0: Yeah, I tend to think so. I think it's um I, I like to use the phrase discipleship all the way down. Mm. So even when you're, you know, sermons are definitely an example where these these priorities ought to come out, but even things of um how we are posting things on social media about our church. Um, how we are treating people in our congregation who bring us ideas about things that we can do in the community. Like, mm. how are we responding? I mean, the most obvious example, honestly, is how our leadership team makes decisions for the rest of our church. Mm. Um, I think that's where really sitting down and saying, what what drives our decisions? Why are we doing the things that we're doing? Mm. Have we thought about how we're representing the kingdom of Christ in our community? Mm. And
1: these are questions you have to keep before the team at all times, right? Right. Yeah, that's your job to keep those <laughs> questions before them so we don't yep. forget. Wow. Um. So I think what you describe is just beautiful. And mm. I imagine there are people listening who are thinking, I don't see some of these things in my local context. I wonder, and I'm putting you on the spot, but I wonder if you would have like a word to somebody listening who is, kind of like evaluating maybe their local context and you know I'm not suggesting the answer is to leave every place that doesn't you know match up the criteria that we think should be there but do, does anything come to mind for you something you would say to someone who's listening to this and uh is thinking gosh what do I do about that if I don't see that in my local church
0: yeah I I think that, um... My my first thought is that it's okay to ask questions about um, how your church is functioning. So I think um, bringing questions to your pastor, to your leadership board, whatever that is, and saying, hey, like... How are we promoting this idea of justice and peace internally? How are we showing love to all of our members and showing respect to their differences and encouraging them to use their gifts within our context? How are we doing that? Um, I think it's okay to ask those questions because honestly, I've been in the church world forever and a lot of things sort of just happen because this is the way we've always done it. We just sort of default to our systems and sometimes we're not reflecting on them. so I think sometimes it's okay to say, "Hey, I've just got a question yeah. about how we're doing, what we're doing, and yeah. to th- you know think about what do my neighbors think about my church mm. um, when when the name of my church comes up in mm. our community, what are people saying? How are they concluding mm. um, what we're up to? So mm. I think you know sometimes it'll, I think even in a small group setting to say, "Hey." What do you guys think people think about our church hmm. um, when they think about it? And just write down a list, um, because wow. I think we don't we don't ask those questions. We won't know the answers. So I, then I think taking those to your pastor and saying, hey, we've just been doing some thinking around this idea and just wanted to let you know some of the things we're learning and to hmm. think about, do we need to course correct a little bit? Hmm. What could that look like? Mm-hmm.
1: I learned so much from all my guests, and I just feel so inspired by everything you shared. This has just been fantastic. Thank you. And sure. I, it's such an encouragement as well.
0: I love that you are framing this in the context of what pastors read. And mm. so I think that's really fun to think about how pastors are being shaped. Um, you know, most pastors go to seminary at some point in their training and then they go into ministry, and decades pass. Um, so it's just good to be reminded that pastors should be learning new things so that Amen. they can bring those new ideas to their congregation. I think that's Amen. really fun.
1: Yes, thank yeah. you. Well, Laura, thank you so much for being here. Sure, absolutely. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Pastor Laura Tarot about Scott McKnight's book, Kingdom Conspiracy returning to the radical mission of the local church. You can follow Laura's ministry at Bethany Covenant's social links. And don't worry, those and other resources we mentioned are listed in the show notes. Also, if you want to support the podcast in spirit or with your bank account, you can subscribe to it at yprb.substack.com. Give it a rating on your favorite podcast platform, share an episode on the socials, or send a link to a friend. Once again, I'm your host, Heather Weber. For more information about me, head on over to my website at heatherweber.org. That's Weber with one B. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to read a great book today.